411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. Stay the world. 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl. You know, grief is a very strong emotion. And for some people, it is paralyzing. And with the high rate of homicides, the high rate of fatal accidents, the fatal drug overdoses, uh, deaths from illnesses, and suicide, and at any given day, there are a lot of people going through grief. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, real people, real talk. Today, we're going to talk about grief and resiliency. Um, I have two really special guests joining me, a mother-daughter team, Janine Hibbler and Sanaya Hibbler. They have gone through a lot, so I wanted to bring them in because they know about this topic better than a lot of people because it's a lived experience. Uh, first of all, welcome to both of you. Thank you. I'm really Thank glad you. to have you here. I've talked to your mom a lot, so it's just really rewarding <laughs> to be able to talk to you now because I've heard about you a lot, and you're doing a lot of great things. So uh, we will get into some of that. But I wanted to bring you here to talk about this because in a very short period of time, you experienced, both of you experienced a lot. Your father died. Your son died. Your husband died. Yes. Um, first of all, let me say, um, I'm really sorry for your loss. And when I heard about this, as I was telling you earlier, it just struck me. You know, it was just like, it kind of took my breath away. Because, you know, you start to imagine. Because I have a father and I have a brother and, you know, you just start to imagine those things and what that would feel like. Of course, I can never, never, you know, really understand that. But, of course, you do. Um, so I want to start with this. Now, I mentioned the three deaths. What order did it happen? Well, if I could go back to even childhood, uh, I began navigating the Hurricane of Hertz as a child, even younger really? than my daughter was at the time. Um, when I was in middle school, I lost my natural father. Ah. Yes. So it, it kind of began at that that age, mm -hmm. about 11 years old, of beginning to deal with a lot of loss. And I lost my grandfather. And as we progressed into my adult life, I lost a brother as well. Oh, wow. um, he was 23 years old. My father died of cancer. My, my grandfather died of medical condition as well. And then my 23-year-old brother had cerebral palsy, and he passed away at 23. And um, from that point, my family became accustomed to dealing with loss in a positive way, celebrating mm -hmm. the life of those that have gone before us. Um, so obviously, fast forwarding it to the time that you're aware of, um, in March of 2020, um, I was on a business trip and got the worst call of my life. My husband was weeping and screaming in the phone. And all he could say was, Justin, Justin, Justin. He couldn't go into words about what was actually occurring. Um, so I knew it was something serious. And then I got a call from um, 
the local police chief in my community. Yeah. And he's like, Janina, I'm so sorry. I don't know all the details, but we're at your home and it, it you know, it's pretty severe. Is there something you would like me to do for you and your family? And the only thing I could think about at that time was to get to my daughter, Sanaya, who was in school, mm. and then I could make all the other calls on my own, um, which I did. I was in a conference. I excused myself. I went into a private office. Uh, uh, one of my colleagues followed with me. And I just began making phone calls, and she was in awe. Like, how can you manage all of this with the news that you just right. received? Um, and at that time, he had not passed away, but he was in very severe uh, condition. So I called my oldest daughter, and her and her family rushed to the hospital to be with my husband and my, my younger son. So it was a, just a series of things that I've been trained to manage emergencies anyways, that I was directing traffic, as I would say, do right. this, do that. And everyone was calling me. And, you know, it was, it was kind of surreal, but I think God prepared me for it. Mm -hmm. um, as I was departing for the trip, my son, Justin, he said goodbye to me. And I felt like something wasn't going to be the same when really? I came back home. So I was able to manage it because he had already been going through a series of mental health challenges. And the look that he gave me and our goodbyes, it truly was the last time. And I was like, okay, God, you know what you're doing. So I uh, trusted the Lord from that point on. We just moved fast forward it. Um, we lost a few people in our church. This is in the midst of the pandemic. We lost a few people uh, in my church. My husband did funerals. And then September, I got a call from my niece. Granddad is, is, is in trouble. The paramedics are here. You have to get here. So once again, I started directing traffic, calling different ones to go assist my family. Um, and he didn't make it, obviously. And um, several days he stayed in a coma and we finally had to make the decision to, to let him go. And my brother was a trooper. Yeah. Um, after experiencing my younger brother dying in the home and now my dad. Um, fast forwarded, that was September 2020. Um, January uh, 10th of 21, my husband came home from preaching a sermon. He was a, a senior pastor at Cedar Hills Church. And he came home, I fed him dinner, he went to bed, and he woke up in a panic. He didn't say anything to me, but he started getting dressed and putting things on I believe he was trying to drive himself to the hospital. Oh, wow. Without telling you. But without telling me. That's the type of person he was. He didn't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. He's driven himself to the hospital before. Um, but this time was a lot different. He went upstairs. I didn't hear him. And then I heard a thump. And I just, he's always knocking things over. So I'm mm -hmm. thinking, oh, he's in a panic. Don't worry. But by the time I got upstairs, he was gone. Wow. He was sitting on the bed. He had flopped to the bed and he was gone. And I called Sanaya, I yelled to my older son. I'm like, we can try to do CPR. Let's get him to the floor. Sanaya called 911 and just started directing traffic mm -hmm. once again. And I'm just grateful that God prepared me every step of the way for everything. All the careers I've had, all the training that I've had, I just put it to practice. And I was so calm about the episode that the emergency responders who knew me, because right. it was in my community, um, they said to me, you do understand what we're doing. I said, yep. I'm going to get out of your way. Go ahead and take care of what you need to do. I'm calling my family. They're on their way, you know, and just 
really saying, Lord, you know, have your way because right. I can't stop anything. I can't control. God is in control. And I remember calling um, my childhood pastor. And when I called her to tell her, she's like, no, Janine, that can't be happening. I said, no, he's gone. They're working on him, but he's gone. And, you know, just a word just passed really quickly. He was the senior pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. All the church members started calling. And as they were calling, um, they were grieving more than I was. And I was consoling them. And they're like, I'm calling to talk to you to comfort you and you're comforting me. I said, because God is all, he's got it all in control. And I said, my biggest thing is to allow God to use me in this season to do whatever he calls me to do. And ministering to those that were hurting and dealing with loss during a pandemic was what he called me to do. So taking my assignment seriously, I just moved forward. And I just, you know, even as today, I continue to move forward and walk in whatever God has for me. I'll pause there because I know Sanaya probably has a different account of how Mm -hmm. all this transpired for her. But I do want to say that from that date, of my son's passing, which was March 12th of 2020, to today, I've lost over 20 family members. Oh, my God. And this is what I do. I, they call me. I'm the first person they call. This one's in trouble. This one did this. Mm-hmm. And I direct the traffic. And, and it's just a part of the love and care and compassion and concern I have for my family. Right. Okay. So what you said, um, it, it's like light bulbs to me. I, I get it. Because... I'm not surprised by what you say based on what I know of you now, mm-hmm. because I recently met you and how you operate now. You know, you're a task oriented kind of person. You move, 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 move. Um, so that scenario makes sense to me. But what I was attributing it to was your career because you are a former police officer, Milwaukee police officer, and you worked in emergency management with Milwaukee County. So you're dealing with these kind of tragedies and emergencies and you know how, you know, you move to this point, you move to this point, you move to this point. So that made sense to me. But hearing about your past growing up, losing your dad at 11, you know, all these people and the home environment where they embrace all of this and, um, you know, look at it on the spiritual side. Okay, we know where this person is going. You know, we're going to celebrate this life. Okay, so all of this is is really connecting in my head. Absolutely. But I want to go to this young person over (laughs) here, Sanaya. So we're talking 20, you're 16 now. Mm -hmm. So we're talking 13 when all this stuff was going yes. on. Um, so first you you lose your brother. Mm-hmm. And while I was at school, so I had no knowledge of it. I was already kind of not having the best day that day. Mm-hmm. And kind of similarly to my mom, my last exchange was with my brother is that Justin, he had came up to my room when I woke up that morning and he wished me off to school and told me to have a good day, which he did not do too often. Mm -hmm. So I already knew something was a little bit off, but I tried not to think too much about it. But I already knew kind of what was going on mentally with my brother. I had seen um, his different behaviors and things at home. And so when I was at school, there was a teeny tinge of worry in my heart, but I tried not to worry too much about it. I'm the type of person as well who kind of just, I don't want to say I bottle things up, but I put things either on the back burner or I assess those things later. Um, 
So when I was at school, what had happened was I was called down to the office right after coming inside from recess because I was still in middle school, so we still had recess. <laughs> and um, I remember when um, the guidance counselor who was taking me there, because they had sent the guidance counselor to come get me, which also does not happen very mm -hmm. often. So I knew something was a little bit wrong. And then when I finally got to the office, it was my father, uh, my other brother, Gerald, the youngest, and then my uncle and my older sister. And so obviously I knew something was going on and then the SRO was also there. So I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Yeah. So thankfully they made sure that they had me out of the building before they actually like told me what had happened. Mm -hmm. And of course that was a very stressful day because um, I mean, at first I knew mom was on a business trip. So I thought something had happened to her. Uh. But then when they finally told me that it was my brother, um, yeah, of course you have that immediate heart drop and that disbelief at first. You're like, no, that can't be actually what happened. Mm -hmm. I need a different explanation for this. But then when that finally, you know, settles in and you get that acceptance, which it doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes it takes days, sometimes it takes months, years and stuff like that. And it definitely did take a while for me to finally like accept the fact that he's gone. He's not yeah. coming back. I was constantly sitting at home waiting for him to come back from work or waiting for him to come back. Um, and obviously mm -hmm. he wasn't there. Um, and then um, flash forward to when my uh, grandfather passed. Um, that was another one that like ha I had a lot of disbelief with that one as well because we didn't live in the home with my grandfather, um, but our my grandmother was living with us. And so, um, yeah, just having to be kind of just sat down and told what happened. It was a lot more um, just slowly a slower release of the information. I felt it was very abrupt when my brother passed away and they just kind of mm -hmm. said it to me straight, which um, I think me now, I would have been able to handle it a lot better than I did back then, but obviously being 13 years old and being at school and not being able to say that last goodbye and all that, um, it was a little bit harder. I think it was great to have that kind of um, final closure though, because my last moment with my brother wasn't bad. Right. He was wishing me off for school. He was being kind. He was being loving, as we know him to be. And so I think that very much helped me um, kind of go through the motions and mm -hmm. deal with things a little bit better. Um, and then um, when my father passed away, that was the only one that I was present for. And um, for me, I actually, um, I carried a lot of guilt with that one. Why? Um, because after the pandemic um, kind of like struck and everybody was indoors and stuff, we were having uh, church services outside. And uh, we were attending regularly, obviously, as First Lady and uh, children and stuff. But after a while, I think carrying the weight of what happened with my older brother started to hit me and I stopped coming to church. And so I wasn't there to hear him preach his last sermon. I was at home. And so... I obviously felt bad already, but I remember, um, I think I had went to use the bathroom. The way that our house is set up is that all of our rooms are in a hallway. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents' bedroom is right next to my mine's at the end of the hall, and there's this kind of right on the corner right there. And I had walked past the room, and I saw my father laying there, but I thought he was asleep. Oh, okay. So, of course, you can imagine what I felt when mom comes into my room and tells me that he, in fact, was not. Um so I think I carried a lot of guilt from that, thinking it was somehow my fault that I didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. Like, And obviously, they tell you not to blame yourself and stuff, which is much easier said than done. Right. Um, 
but yeah, it just it takes time and it takes um, acceptance is the word that I mainly use. Once you learn to accept things and kind of just um, know that this is how it happens, we all have a day to be born, we have our days to live, and then we have our days where that comes to an end. Um, so yeah, I think just acceptance and being very honest with myself and just letting myself not only feel things, but just letting myself um, just have an understanding of things. Because I think um, when you go through these things at such a younger age, obviously, um, I think there's some growing up that needs to be done in that process for sure. Because um, you may think that part of your childhood has been taken away having to go through something so deep, um, especially having these three um, tragedies happen in a 10-month period where it was like, I didn't even get a time to rest before the next and the next. So, um, yeah. And I think if I didn't have, um, obviously, my mother and then my older brother and my grandmother there to uh, go through this with me, because unfortunately not everybody has that support support system and not everybody has people around to help them deal with those things but I think if it wasn't for family that you know those things would have been a lot harder so I'm thankful for the people that I do have in my life that were able to help me through that because another thing is like um we were starting to mention I'm in the performing arts and in entertainment and stuff. And of course, since my brother passed away right before that pandemic struck, a lot of people like to think that, oh, maybe theater and stuff was like your outlet to get out of that. But I'm like, not really, because everything was shut down. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. So that's that another so part that made it very difficult because the things that were my outlets and the things that I love to do, I were no longer at access to me. Mm-hmm. So um, I mostly confided in the people that I have and also myself. I think it's important to... Um, know that you have to put in the work in order to get past these things and in order to find yourself on the other side. You can't just sit and let things happen and expect for it to go away. You need to have some sort of um, active effort. Exactly. And, you know, with this happening when you're 13, I, I think it kind of grows you up a little quicker, you know? And I'm sure at this point, because of these things that have happened in your life, you're probably the go-to person when some friend has something similar Mm -hmm. or some kind of tragedy or something that's tough to deal with. They probably gravitate to you because they, they know that you've experienced it. And with that comes wisdom at that very young age. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold that thought because I can hear, I, I see the wheel turning in mm-hmm. your head. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more with Sanaya and Janine Hibbler. We're talking about grief and resiliency. So stay with us. Eva Marie smoked 12,000 packs of cigarettes over 15 years. She quit, and now there's a new lung cancer screening that could save her life. You stopped smoking, now start screening. No matter how much you smoked, early detection could save you. Talk to your doctor or learn more at savedbythescan.org. I wonder if you know that I want the best for you. But how long will you fight solo? I wonder if you know that we can get help. Not wondering anymore. Love your mind.
Welcome back to the 411 Live. My guests, Sanaya Hibbler and her mom, Janine Hibbler. We've been talking a lot about uh, grief and, of course, we will be talking about resiliency. And we kind of got into that a little bit because right before the break, you were mentioning that people were assuming that your acting uh, in, in theater probably cushioned you a little bit. You had an outlet. And you mentioned we were in the pandemic, so all those, that outlet was not there for you. Um, and that was something that I was thinking, too. I thought, well, she's an actor. She does things for first stage theater, and that probably helped her through this. And I totally forgot that things were shut down. We were in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying that really what helped you was that that family, um, that girding up, so to speak, you, that support that you had. Um, and you were saying, I mean, you were already kind of in that you're giving all this advice and helping other people grieving for your husband's loss when you would think that they would be helping you. But as strong as you are, knowing the things you know, I mean, you know where your husband is. Absolutely. Um, but we... Still miss that physical presence. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Physically, I went through some physical challenges that I needed to change. I started gaining weight, you know, being at home, not out and about during the pandemic, um, as well as just the level of stress that comes with everyone's concerns. I I had no time to deal with what I was going through. I think it was a year later before I cried my first tear after my husband passed because there was always something to do. Um, From he passed on a Sunday, the following Sunday we had a funeral, the next day we buried him. I mean, and then, you know, just his work atmosphere and all of his parishioners and, you know, managing a church. I became the pastor that next week, and it was just on and on and on, just continual um, activity. And my children, um, they said, Mom, we don't want you to be a pastor anymore. Pastoring killed Dad. All the work and all the stress and the strain and the grief. Um, The pandemic brought an added layer for the average service person, regardless of what career Mm -hmm. you were in. Um, You know, healthcare was failing. Our our system of healthcare was failing. Um, just people's ability to just the to have the wherewithal to know what to do. Um, so people needed a break, and they weren't able to get one. So unfortunately, um, people came succumbed to the atmosphere and and the pressures of life. And that's what I use for my family in particular, starting with my son's death. Then my dad had a heart attack, and I believe that pressure from my son's death caused my stepdad to have a heart attack, mm. he would call me literally on the phone to just hear my voice to make sure I'm, baby, I'm just calling to see if you're all right. And what, but stay on the phone for an hour, you know. Um, then I taught him how to use video calls. And then he would call and I would be cooking dinner and he just wanted to <laughs> check, you know, to make sure I was okay. But in the midst of all that, my husband was going more than ever and never had a chance to grieve my son's death as mm-hmm. well. So watching people in my own family not manage grief properly caused myself and my older daughter, Sabri, to say, hey, we got to do something better. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to find safe, positive outlets to make sure that we're processing what's going on in our own, yeah. uh, in our own lives. And um, my daughter was 
as my husband uh, passed away, my daughter was preparing to uh, move to Texas. I think it was right around the time my dad passed away. My daughter was moving to Texas and she didn't want to leave because she's like, Mom, I can't leave you here by yourself. And I'm like, I'm not by myself. And I always tease my children because my grandma uh, would say after my grandfather passed and she would be home alone. I said, Grandma, I feel so bad you're there by yourself. She says, I'm not here by myself. <laughs> it's me, these three walls, and Jesus all the time. <laughs> so I kind of would use that with my children, and I was encouraging my daughter, no, go and do whatever God mm-hmm. has called you to do in Texas. And lo and behold, she opened up a, a spa and um, just went and got her esthetician's license, got her first suite, and just expanded and expanded. And one of the tributes um, that she has for her uh, her brother, Justin, and my husband, Steve, she started um, what they call Man Day Mondays at the spa, where oh, it's nice. only men to come in and do self-care items. And she has all kinds of activities. She has skincare lines. She has teas and all these things. So obviously, I was her test pilot for everything too so we had to make a trip there and go through and every time she would you know have a new service or start a new product I would have to try it Mm -hmm. and then I realized I was like she's really on to something here she's really on to something so I'm so grateful for Eminence Spa um, and we're preparing to go there for our annual outing to to the spa in a couple weeks Um, but that's something that we started putting uh, on the forefront is self-care so her Monday Mondays turned into at my house me day Mondays for me. So I would, you know, clear my calendar on Mondays and people would open up my calendar. like, why is there a line? I was like, I can do whatever I want that day. And most of the times I choose a massage or I I choose some type of self-care. Even going out and gardening um, is one of my passions now. Being out in nature, my mom loves it. And it's just a legacy that my family has led to to tend to the earth the way God intended us to. So um, as you know, I strive for a plant-based diet, um, all of these things transpired after the death of my husband um, to, to make sure that I was going to be here to take care of others, um, as well as to care for my mom, who also lost her mate. Right. Yes. Right. And so you, just moving along because we're almost out of time, but you guys have taken what you've gone through and you're helping other people. Absolutely. And I was mentioning, I'm sure that there are some friends who maybe have Maybe they thought about suicide, or um, they know someone who has committed suicide, or they lo- they've lost their father. Do you see them gravitating to you? Um, yeah, for sure. But I also think there's that um, there's a sense of guardedness when people know that you've been, especially with how many times mm-hmm. I've been through the same cycle. Sometimes they're scared because they're like, "Oh, my grief's not as big as yours. So who am I to speak on this, and who am I to feel hurt when you've been through so much?" And I always try to let them know that um, it doesn't matter what happened or who it was, it's how it affected you. Because maybe that one person passing away affected you like 10 times more than three Mm -hmm. affected me. Right, right. So um, it's always important to um, use, I think I use comforting others as a way to comfort myself as well. And I think that's a great way, the give and take, you know. And... um, I think especially for young people and especially during the pandemic, you know, there's the statistics of like suicidal rates going up, especially in adolescence and stuff. And as 
as heartbreaking as those things are, um, it's important to make sure that you're checking up on people as well Mm -hmm. and um, making sure that you don't forget about people, of course, um, because it's unfortunate there have been a lot of moments where the first time we're talking to family members in like a couple years or a couple months is to tell them that somebody passed or sometimes we don't get to say that last goodbye to somebody because we haven't spoken to them in so long. So that's also been our thing is we've been trying to um, visit family in person and talk to family, you know, video call and things like that, just to let them know that we're thinking of them and uh, just to make sure that we're having that consistent contact and um, letting people know that they, they're loved because that's another very yeah. important thing to let people know because, um, you know, not everybody feels that way. Um, 100% of the time and sometimes you do need to be told because as much and even as much as you may know it it always feels so much better to have somebody tell you so absolutely Mm -hmm. from the mouth of a child yes (laughs) girl you have you have grown uh, Mm -hmm. in wisdom and we're almost out of time but you started the um, the heart-to-heart compassionate widows circle because you, you're now a widow. Yes. And you know what that looks like, and you're giving to other people. Like you were saying, you're, you're blessed to be a blessing, right? Yes. So how is that going? It's going great. Um, we reached our one-year anniversary on the uh, anniversary of my husband's death, uh, two-year uh, anniversary of his death. So we celebrated um, and, and just remembering the scripture talks about widows 81 times, 81 times. And the average person doesn't understand the call to action that the scriptures tell to take care of the widows and the orphans. Mm -hmm. And um, it really hit me when I became a widow and I started thinking back in my lineage. My grandmother was a widow. I have several aunts that are currently a widow. My mom's been a widow. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what can we do to show the love and care and concern that God has for widows. And most widows are caring for orphans. There are grandmothers that are widows that are caring for their grandchildren because both the parents have passed on. And during the pandemic, we saw a lot of that. Yes. And I think um, we have, you know, spent a lot of time talking about mental health, but there are other things that we need to really take up the cause for. Um, in, in particular, widows and orphans, uh, financial constraints, mm-hmm. and and there's there's a host of things. There are 14 million widows in the United States. That's an average of 40 widows per church. Wow! Think about that. Yeah. So starting heart to heart was a ministry opportunity to bridge the secular world with the church to impact the lives of widows and orphans. And I am so grateful because the day my husband died, a friend, once again, God was already putting people in my life. A friend that I've known for 30 years was the last person my husband spoke to at the church. He told Benito Leatherwood Garrett, I'm not feeling well, I'm going to go home. And When I had to make that call to let him know that he was no longer here, I think it may have been my older daughter that made the call. 
he couldn't believe it right before his eyes the last day of serving in a music ministry alongside my husband. And um, fast forwarded a few months later, the church decided to dissolve. They're like, we can't go on without our pastor. Um, you know, it's just not going to be the same. And my children was like, Mom, we don't want you to be the pastor. So um, out of respect for them, I had to carry on until we dissolved the mm-hmm. ministry. And the day we dissolved, I remember Brother Garrett, Leatherwood Garrett, saying to me, Sis, what's next? What are we going to do next, sis? I said, well, the only thing I know is the ministry for min- uh, for widows at this point, because I don't think— our church understood what we should be doing right now, even in dissolving. Um, there's still work to be done, you know, to, for you to say, I don't want to do ministry because my pastor is gone. Are you giving up on God? And I'm like, I'm not giving up on God. We're going to have to show them what widows need to have as a concern, building their own society, um, supporting one another, their families and their children. So we've started music ministry classes. We have... Um, Cooking, culinary arts, plant-based cooking, I I should add, teaching people how to garden. So from garden to harvesting it and cooking it outside on a grill and just enjoying what God has created for us. Um, We do technology classes and we teach widows who maybe their husbands were the, you know, the financial and planner, the the organizer of the home, how to do Electronic that is, management. That's really huge. That's yes. just that financial. Uh, well, all of those things all are really it. huge. Let me uh, find out from you if somebody hearing this, they are, they're, they're widows. Absolutely. How do they get in touch? How do they connect with you? I like to, to talk to people. I'm not a, you know, obviously the first contact, I don't like it to be digital. I like to have that one on one and meet up with people. So I would encourage them to call us at 414. 414- Nine three zero zero five hundred four one four nine three zero zero five hundred. All right, I'm gonna have to leave it there. I mean, I told you it was gonna go fast, right? And it did. You guys were a great guest. I'm so glad you came, Sanaya and Janine Hibbler. You guys are doing wonderful things, and we'll see you on stage, probably first stage theater, performing something soon, right? Hopefully, yes. Yes. <laughs> All the best to you. And again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having Thanks us. For having And thank you for joining us for another episode of the 411 Live. Remember, we're a nonprofit organization, so if you are so inclined, go to our website, the411life.org, and and help us out. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like and watch us on Facebook. Watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.